Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Mawson. Dr. Mawson is the Senior Lecturer in Systematic Theology and Ethics at Charles Sturt University and the author of Christ Existing as Community, Bonhoeffer's Ecclesiology. He's also the co-editor, alongside Dr. Philip Ziegler, of the new Oxford Handbook of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dr. Mawson, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Corey. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, I've read I've read your books, and uh, I mean, you've reached out to me before, but uh, it, you've been a huge help for Bonhoeffer Studies, so I appreciate you being willing to take the time. Thank you. Um, I'll perhaps also just say um, you're doing an extraordinary service with the time you've put into making this podcast happen. And I've just enjoyed listening to the in-depth discussions with a number of other Bonhoeffer scholars and hearing them both talk about their own work and the state of the field more generally. So, uh, you know, thank you for your work on the podcast and thank you especially for having me here. Yeah, no problem. It is a labor of love. So it's it's crazy to hear <laughs> you say that, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm glad to do it. Uh, well, what I was hoping we could do, I usually start out every episode with just a general get to know you, um, just for listeners who aren't familiar with you and your work. Um, could you tell us how, how did you discover Bonhoeffer? Sure. I'll perhaps uh, just say who I am in general terms and then um, go into a few more details. So I'm a New Zealander. I grew up and lived in New Zealand. In my late 20s, I moved to the US and um, I did my doctoral studies at the University of Notre Dame in Indiana. And I ended up focusing on uh, Bonhoeffer for my dissertation. And then uh, after my dissertation in my early 30s, I moved to Aberdeen in Scotland and I taught at the university there for seven years and I've just recently moved back down to um, uh, this end of the world and I'm now at Charles Sturt in Australia, um, as you mentioned. Hmm. Um, In terms of how I... uh, I became interested in Bonhoeffer. So um, I'll I'll, I'll perhaps just mention two things about my early background. So I I did my undergraduate studies and then a master's degree at Victoria University of Wellington in New Zealand. And it was um, an extraordinarily broad degree. Um, My undergraduate degree, I majored in history and religious studies, but I just had the opportunity to take classes from a range of different disciplines and really just to, um, you know, to read widely and to explore all sorts of ideas. I don't think I read any Bonhoeffer in my uh, studies specifically, but I certainly um, got a lot of intellectual history and, um, you know, good understandings of modern philosophy and critical thought in ways that perhaps helped me when I came to um, Bonhoeffer. Mm a few years later. Um, Through much of my 20s, I was also involved in an intentional Christian community in Wellington called Urban Vision. And uh, the the community was sort of broadly similar to something like Catholic Worker. My own involvement was mostly around youth work, so running clubs um, uh, for at-risk youth, um, um, some foster homes and some different things like that. Mm. 
Um, I, I think I, I did read probably Bonhoeffer's Discipleship and some other texts while I had that involvement. Um, um, but again, it, it was probably questions that came through that involvement. So, you know, how do we, you know, what does it mean to be Christian in complex, messy situations? Um, you know, what does it mean to witness to Christ even when you don't necessarily see results? And I think a lot of those questions carried through into my academic work when I eventually decided to pursue uh, doctoral studies and eventually sort of landed on Bonhoeffer. Hmm. Um, so, so, you know, most of my 20s in New Zealand, um, uh, doing some study at Victoria and involved in the urban vision community. 2006, I moved to Indiana. I hadn't um, planned to work on Bonhoeffer, but it was one of, you know, a, a standard US PhD program where you do coursework and exams before you're writing your dissertation. Um, and again, I've just had fantastic classes on a range of different thinkers and topics. So Aquinas and Natural Law with Jean Porter, um, early modern theology with Jennifer Hurd, who's now at Yale, um, you know, courses on phenomenology with Kevin Hart. And I'd also had a course on modern Protestant ethics with Gerald McKinney, who went on to become my doctoral supervisor. And within this course, we'd read Bonhoeffer's ethics over a couple of weeks. And it was really just the rich discussion in the seminars around that. So trying to sort of work out what was going on, how, how different parts of it fitted together, that really got me interested. And I think I went, you know, I went to um, I went to jury a couple of weeks later and said, you know, is this something that I could I could look at, um, mm. you know, for a dissertation or spend a bit more time exploring. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, that's broadly how I how I sort of ended up on on Bonhoeffer. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. I I don't know. I guess I just didn't. I'm I'm still I'm still relatively new to this. Um, I I guess I didn't know that. That's how I knew that you took a bunch of classes for uh, US PhDs, but I didn't know that you it's possible to to join in one without having like a I want to write on this topic. That's that's really interesting. Yeah. I, so like I certainly when I'd applied for US PhD programs, I'd, I'd had a fairly specific proposal of what I was planning to work on. Hmm. But there was also, at least at Notre Dame, it wasn't at all surprising for people to change their project or change their mind. And part of the goal of that, those two years of coursework, was really just to expose students to a bunch of different material and to, you know, begin begin the work of sort of thinking through what a project might look like. Hmm. Um, um, so I'd, I'd gone in wanting to focus on some other thinkers and ideas, and I think in you know in ways that were probably in continuity with some earlier interests, I'd, I'd sort of ended up focusing a little more on German theology and, and Bonhoeffer in particular. Hmm. Uh, why yeah. Why Notre Dame? Um, so um, there was there were limited opportunities within New Zealand. Uh, so there are some good theologians there, but it's it's a relatively small place. So when I was looking to to pursue doctoral studies, I was mostly looking at overseas programs um, and it was it was very hard to get funding to go to the UK and the um, the exchange rate wasn't so good so I really needed a funded program so I looked at a few different 
uh, US PhD programs and I applied to a few different ones and um, I think I think with Notre Dame there were just so I, I read the work of some people there and they were clearly doing interesting things um, uh, like a, 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 it was a Catholic program which meant it had a um, you know a richness to its engagement with um, the theological tradition and Christian mm. history um, and yeah I think so uh, yeah and, and it was a big department so there was a lot going on and a lot to, to you know satisfy my different interests mm -hmm. um, yeah great yeah. great yeah I did I actually I remember when when I got into Notre Dame I had no idea where it was so I just assumed it was somewhere <laughs> on the east coast close to New York um, <laughs> and had to, had to find out more about South Bend in a hurry yeah yeah I, I don't imagine that's uh, one of the hot spots for tourism um, <laughs> uh, well I, I appreciate you giving us your background uh, what I was hoping that we could do with our time together um, I definitely want to cover spend most of the time covering your book Christ existing as community uh, but mm -hmm. I also I feel like it would just be um, a missed opportunity to, to not just at least offer a preview of the Oxford handbook that that's just come out. Um, so that, that's kind of the hope for our time together. Um, when I was, uh, this might be four, four or five years ago. Now I read a biography on, on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I think in the, the somewhere in the forward, it said that life together was, you know, the, the best, one of the, the great work on Christian community. And uh, so I thought, well, I enjoyed this, you know, this biography. Let me read Life Together. And I read Life Together, and I was blown away. And it was exactly what I was told it would be. So I thought, well, um, I, I've loved everything I've read so far. Why not just start through everything? So let's start at the beginning. And then I read probably, you know, 50 pages of Sanctorum Communio and realized this is miles above my head. Um, especially then, um, I, I had a digital copy. Um, so I didn't really have the even the like the preface in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer's works that you know gives a lot more context than uh, what he's what he's saying. It was it was just so far over my head. Um, since then, I've started my thesis and I've been reading through Bonhoeffer's works again. And uh, I think it was the third episode of this podcast. I interviewed Dr. Barry Harvey, and uh, his Desert mm -hmm. Island book was your book. Um, Christ existing as community. Um, so I, I picked that up and I read that. And then, uh, wow, St. Union makes a lot more sense um, thanks to your book. And since I'm, you know, ha having time interviewing the uh, the guy who wrote the book on the book, I feel like it would be, I really hope, my hope for this is that this episode can be sort of a reference for people who haven't gotten into St. Communion, haven't read it for a good starting point for them to understand sort of the context and the arguments and the flow of those things. Um, so I'm hoping that we could just walk through it together, maybe a bird's eye view uh, of the outline of, of his argument. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Great. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you, for someone who has never read St. Doran Communio, knows who Bonhoeffer is but never read a Bonhoeffer work and is coming to St. Doran Communio, um, what do they need to know before reading it? <laughs> just to provide some context for them. So the first thing they need to know is, you know, perhaps to put that book down and um, <laughs> um, go elsewhere and, and pick up something else. Um, failing that, it's it's Bonhoeffer's first published book. It's his doctoral dissertation, um, you know, the first of two dissertations that he wrote within the 
um, the German academic system. And it, it's, it's probably his most complex text, in part because we don't, uh, you know, a number of the different thinkers he's engaging with aren't familiar to us, um, you know, outside of an early 20th century German context. Uh, his writing's also not as clear and concise as in some of his um, um, later works. Um, so your experience of sort of, of of coming to it and just trying to sort of work out what's going on, I think would be would be fairly typical. And it was certainly my own experience when I first um, um, started to work through it. Um, That's good enough. Yeah. So in, like so in terms of its its context, he's. Um, so he's writing a dissertation at the University in Berlin. Um, he's trying to um, think through the relationship between social theory or sociology and theology, and also how that can contribute to an understanding of the church. Hmm. Um, so it's sort of working on that intersection between different disciplines and drawing in different kinds of theology to, to do that. Um, yeah great great that's great yeah uh, the your first chapter uh provides also a little bit more background um it's entitled beyond trolch and bart um what's going on in there um yeah how is bonhoeffer interacting with those people yeah so so um so the first chapter of my book i'm, I'm just trying to provide some of the broader context within which um, Bonhoeffer's writing, um, and it, you know it's it's fairly uncontroversial to, um, to to position Bonhoeffer's early work as somewhere between Bart's dialectical theology and some liberal theological influences, mm -hmm. um, um, either his um, you know teacher von Harnack or um, or Trolch or others. Um, so in some ways, what what I'm doing in that first chapter is just laying out some of that familiar territory, although I do try and go into a little more detail of, um, um, you know, what's what's he getting from Trolch, what's he's getting, what's he getting from Bart, and also some ways in which um, Bonhoeffer's turn to ecclesiology both um, positions him as doing something different with respect to Bart's early dialectical theology and also Trolch's um, more thoroughgoing commitment to historicism or a, a historical approach to Christianity. Um, so in that chapter, I, I sort of try and lay out um, um, some of the material tr from Trolch that Bonhoeffer was reading, some of the material that he was getting from Bart, and especially the very early Bart, and then um, some ways that he sort of understood himself as doing something that was um, more ecclesial and, and slightly different to both of them. Hmm. That's great. Um, the next chapter is Theology and Social Theory. The re it seems like the rest of your book mirrors the chapters and uh, or the sections, at least, in uh, Sanctorum Communio. What, what is Bonhoeffer getting at in the, uh, the Theology and Social Theory chapter? Yeah, so... so um... So in, in my chapter on theology and social theory, I'm really trying to sort of set out some of Bonhoeffer's initial um, methodolog methodological distinctions with respect to social theory. So what's he engaging? Why? What's he trying to do with it? And I, I position my chapter against some of Bonhoeffer's critics who have said that his 
engagement with social theory is fundamentally flawed, uh, in particular in that he opted to engage with um, formal approaches to sociology uh, rather than historical approaches, um, namely those of people like Trolch and Weber um, and some others and Durkheim. Um, so, so one of the standard criticisms has been is has been that he sort of engaged the wrong kind of sociology and one that um, you know hasn't stood the test of time or hasn't really had a lot of impact outside of early twentieth century um, uh, Germany. Um, and, and part of what I try and do is say that um, that may be the case, but there's also theological reasons why Bonhoeffer thinks. Um, some of those more formal or phenom phenomenological kinds of sociology um, are better suited for theological work or can contribute to theological discourse, um, um, whereas some of the more historical approaches may have normative commitments and assumptions that problematise theology from the outset. Um, um, so a, a good part of what my chapter is doing is trying to set out uh, who's he engaging, um, why is he doing it, and then what what does he mean by a sort of theological engagement or um, um, what does that look like? Hmm. And in some ways, in the, the next couple of chapters of my book is sort of setting that out in a bit more detail, but that that um, second chapter is just really trying to, to put it on the table. Um, yeah, does that make sense? I'm yeah, not sure. yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. about, um, there, there's a term that Bonhoeffer uses throughout Sanctorum Communio um, that I had... I had never read in my life before I read uh, read that book, um, and it's just the word sociality, and he talks about the sociality of the church. I'm wondering if you can kind of break that down for people who aren't familiar with that term. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I'm not. I, I'd have to think a little about um, how much that's language that's just come through in. Uh, scholarship on Bonhoeffer versus how much that's his own term. I can't, without mm. sort of going back and checking, I can't. I can't remember how much he uses um, the German equivalent of that. Um, but but I think what it's trying to get at is the ways in which um, um, you know he emphasises. Um, He emphasises relationships and the ways in which Christian doctrines need to be understood in relational terms. Um, the scholar who's done the most work in terms of drawing this out is Clifford Green. Um, and Clifford Green really sort of picks up on a quote of uh, Bonhoeffer's from the preface of Sanctorum, Sanctorum Communio, where he says, a person, primal state, sin and revelation can be fully comprehended only in reference to sociality um, um, or um, socialitat. And so Green um, really sort of picks up on that and tries to think through how Bonhoeffer's uh, understanding of creation is uh, formulated in social terms or with reference to sort of concrete social relationships, um, um, the same with sin and the same with uh, revelation. Um, mm. So I guess it's trying to sort of draw out the... A, a relational way of understanding those those doctrines or those um, theological loci, um, and it's certainly you know one of the um, you know the subtitle of Bonhoeffer's dissertation is a theological study of the sociology of the church. So by that he's really sort of trying to draw out 
um, the social forms and the social relationships that exist within the church and um, you know the ways in which um, um, social theory and sociology can help to um, um, explicate and understand what those are. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That's great. Um, let's do uh, chapter three. Chapter three is the Christian concept of a person. Um, this you sent this to me uh, a while back. Uh, this chapter because um, I'm I was working on my my thesis. Um, you, you mentioned in your for your PhD that your topic um, constantly changed. I found that to be be the case <laughs> writing my thesis as well. It's um, it's still Bonhoeffer, but it's always kind of shifting a little bit. Um, and I I found that uh, I, I started out doing his his theological anthropology, and you sent this to me, and I found it really helpful, kind of just to make mm-hmm. a, a picture of what Bonhoeffer thought about the person. Uh, so what's going on in chapter three? Yeah, so so I take it, um, so, so Bonhoeffer has uh, um, a chapter in Sanctorum Communio, um, which I think is just called, sorry, I should have checked this, I think it's just called uh, the, the Christian Concept of Person and Concepts of Social Basic Relation. Um, and um, a, a lot of scholars have sort of looked at that chapter and suggested that Bonhoeffer sets out a relational concept of the person over against um, um, you know, idealism and some other ways of thinking about um you know what it means to be human, um, and that that concept of relationality or relational personhood provides the foundation for the dissertation as a whole. Um, what I try and do in my chapter is sort of say that Bonhoeffer's Christian concept of the person has a more restricted or delimited purpose. So it's making an important contribution to his argument, um, but it's not so much the foundation, it's more it's more one part of um, a more complex um, um, systematic theology. Um, so, uh, so, you know, so, so that's one way of answering your question. The other way would be to say, well, you, you know, what does it mean to think about ourselves as persons theologically? Well, it means to understand who we are in relation to God and one another. Um, and for Bonhoeffer, who are we in relation to God and one another? Well, um, with those who stand reconciled in Christ. And in order to understand what that means, we have to then have some notion of what it means to be sinners or those in need of reconciliation and some notion of what it means to be creatures or those who um, you know, weren't created as sinners but were intended for a relation with God and one another. Hmm. So you know, answering the question of, of you know, what are we as human beings, um, you know, therefore requires robust concepts of creation, sin, and reconciliation. And one of the sort of core arguments of my book, if you like, is that you can only, um, you need to constantly be attending to how Bonhoeffer's using notions of person or notions of community in relation to those specific states or those specific doctrines. Mm-hmm. And so sort of turning to that second chapter, the Christian concept of the person, my argument is that, um, um, you know, what how Bonhoeffer is using person in this context is those encountered in a state of sin and therefore those encountered, um, um, you know, by God 
you know, by th th those who are confronted with God's judgment. Um, mm. And so it's trying to sort of situate the kind of relationality that Bonhoeffer spells out in relation to um, um, the state of sin and the encounter with the other is is the means of how God claims us and encounters us. Um, and I do, I, 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 at the end of the chapter, I've, I've, I've got an extended engagement with Clifford Green's work where I both, um, I think he points us in the right direction by focusing on relationality, but I, I, I express the concern that I don't think he always gives enough attention to, um, you know, these the specific states and what they mean. So, hmm. um, you know, what it means that we're, we're only ever creatures, sinners, and those reconciled, and, you know, this side of the eschaton, we can't necessarily hold those together or draw those together into a, into a unified whole. Wow, um, that's so helpful. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm working on one of the chapters of my thesis right now, and it's just trying to place um, auto autonomy, which I think I just des define as uh, being self-directed. Um, yeah. In in light of the biblical storyline, according to Bonhoeffer, so um, it fits right. Everything that you just said just fits so well into creation and fall juxtaposing between starting from the self with idealism or, or other philosophies uh, as far as determining what a penguin is and, and how we understand those realities um, or understanding those realities in light of God's revelation in Christ. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's yeah. really helpful. No, and um, like I should have, I, I meant to say at the outset of this, um, like, like I feel there's, there's just a number of different threads that are constantly playing through Sanctorum Communio and it just took me years to sort of get those down on paper in a way that I was happy with. Um, and I'm slightly nervous that, you know, in, in trying to sort of summarize a chapter in a couple of minutes, I'm going to I'm gonna miss something. Or, or you know, it's, it's either going to be unclear or, um, you know, crucial parts of the argument are going to drop out. So, um, you know, first and foremost, people should just go away and read Sector and Comedio and, and, you know, wrestle with creation and fall and... Sure. Um, you know, the slow and careful ways that sort of Bonhoeffer starts to unfold these things. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I mean, and really, really what I've tried to do in my book is just say, you know, well, he says this here, he says this here. You know, how do we hold that together? Or how do we sort of try and, you know, not forget about one and, and privilege something else? Um, yeah. 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 I think, I think you're doing a great job explaining this. I mean, uh, even if you did miss something, I think Barry Harvey's <laughs> endorsement of yours book as the Desert Island book tells tells everyone what they need to know about, hey, if you're going to read St. Torn Communion, pick up well, this book. Well, yeah, like Barry Harvey's being very generous, and I um, maybe he just meant that it would be useful to start the fire or something <laughs> like that, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, let's do chapter four, uh, Creation, Primal Sociality. Yeah, sure. yeah okay. So this... Um, so this is this is a chapter where Bonhoeffer um, really carves out a space for a generous engagement with existing sociology. So he, he's really, you know, within the context of creation or thinking about, um, you know, what we are as human beings, um, you, you know, what we are, what were we. The kinds of persons and relationships that we were created for, um, he, he's willing to sort of draw on um, 
um, you know, the, the sociology of Ferdinand Tunis or, um, um, you know, other social philosophers in ways that, um, you know, seem to at times just be appropriating them and drawing on their concepts, um, um, you know, without necessarily sort of changing them all that much. So in my own chapter, I sort of really try and just just sit with that generosity and sort of say, well, you know, what what can he do with these concepts in this context? And ultimately, I think he is going to try and uh, rein them in a little bit or, or, you know, place them within his wider theological dialectic or narrative of creation, sin, reconciliation. So he doesn't sort of think that existing um, um, social theory and sociology can simply provide an adequate description of the church. Um, but he does think that um, and within the sort of framework of creation, they can sort of give us all sorts of um, useful bits of language and useful conceptual categories. Um, yeah, I'm trying. Um, I'm trying to think. There, there was one of the longer chapters. Um, there were all sorts of things going on in there. A lot, again, a lot of a lot of the chapter, I think, is really just trying to 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 sit with Bonhoeffer's own text to try and sort of slow down. Um, try and sort of show what he's doing and why. Um, so perhaps more than any of the chapters, this one, this one just sort of follows the the movement of Bonhoeffer's own chapter. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it was one that it took me a long time to sort of to put on paper as well. Mm. That's great. Um, uh, yeah. Well, how does that lead into the fall? This this next chapter yeah. of the fall, the sinful collective person, and what is what is the sinful collective person? What, is the, what do you mean by that? Or what is Bonhoeffer? Um, okay. Um, uh, chapter five, the fall, the sinful collective person. I I spent some time outlining Bonhoeffer's homotheology or, or his understanding of sin, and specifically how how all of the categories and concepts that he draws in from sociology in the preceding chapter um, get disrupted or reworked. So we can't simply import, um, um, you know, uh, I mean, a language that worked in a state of creation and apply it in our present state or, you know, our standing before God and one another now. Um, and so it's trying to sort of show how sin goes all the way down if we want to understand relationships, um, 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 you know, or what we are as persons before God, it, 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 you know, all sorts of things become um, inverted. Hmm. Um, and saying that, he, he then sort of starts to use this notion of the sinful collective person. And it's not exactly the same as the concept of collective person that he develops in the state of creation. But again, he's wanting to sort of draw out... Um, um, you know, the ways that human beings exist as collectives and not simply as conglomerates of individuals. Um, in that sense in which we stand before God both as individual sinners, but also as part of a sinful Adam. Uh, mm. I'm sorry, part of a sinful humanity or what he calls the collective person of mm. Adam. Um and even in our very isolation and sinfulness as individuals, we're, we're also sort of tied to this um, um, sinful community or this sinful humanity. Um, and I suggest in this chapter that this gives us a way of thinking about sin that's a little different to some other parts of the Christian tradition. 
So it gives us a way of, uh, um, you know, talking about um, um, original sin without undermining personal culpability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, it's not that um, I could have acted otherwise or not, you know, sinned in the ways that I do, um, um, but I'm also still responsible for um, my own sinful acts. And Bonhoeffer's, um, you know, particular way of sort of working that out with this notion of um, uh, the sinful collective person or the collective person of Adam is an attempt to sort of hold those together. Um, how can we be, um, uh, you know, tied to sin in ways that we can't control, but also culpable and responsible in ways that, you know, sin attaches itself to us or is, is part of us. Um, and I, I sort of draw the contrast with Augustine's understanding of original sin in terms of um, the procreative act or, or the ways that sin sort of passed down through nature. Um, so Bonhoeffer's wrestling with the same problem, but um, thinks that um, there's ways of thinking about relationality that, that can better sort of hold those two aspects of sin together. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's really great. I think the what your book does really well, I think, is you, you kind of mentioned it earlier with the the difference in humanity and the collective humanity from creation to fall. That if you wanted to provide a sort of a definition for humanity or uh, or a human being, a person, um, you all you really have to provide two or three um, to be able to, because at the core level, something all the way deep down changes from creation to the fall. And then again, in Christ, something new happens as well. So uh, to create a definition, I think Bonhoeffer says this, that you can't create a single definition about humanity because there are three different time periods in humanity and they're fundamentally different at its core on every single one. Um, so really you have to take each one step by step to really understand what's going on. Yeah, that's excellent. And it's also, it's more than just time periods. So it's really Luther's um, um, simultaneity. So this idea that we're creatures, sinners, and those reconciled mm-hmm. all at the same time, or, or you know, perhaps better put, to understand what it means to be reconciled in Christ and part of the church means also understanding that we're, um, you know, we're sinners and creatures. So they layer um, on top of each other. Yeah, and, and perhaps so. This is starting to move towards the the two final chapters of my book, which focus on uh, ecclesiology. But what what all of this is driving towards is Bonhoeffer's attempt to provide an account of the church as both the place of God's revelation or the body of Christ, but at the same time as a fully community, a fully human community and a historical entity, you know, much like any other. So how do we sort of say, um, you know, this flawed human community is also, um, um, you know, the place where God and Christ is present and at work in the world. And again, we need those sort of ways of thinking, thinking along sort of multiple lines at the same time. Um, so it's not that it's not that the flaws and the sins of the church cancel out Christ's presence, mm-hmm. um, and it's not that Christ's presence leads to sanctification in the sense that 
the church is no longer sinful. Um, um, it's it's you know being pressed into one involves recognizing the other and vice versa. Um, and I think I think that same dynamic is going on in those earlier chapters on creation and sin. So, you know, part of what it means to understand ourselves as part of, um, um, you know, create, created relationships, um, um, you know, gives us certain kinds of insights into who we are before one another. Um, um, you know, the, the engagement with sin gives us, you know, other kinds of insights that need to be held alongside um, um, you know, uh, one another. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, I mean, you, you just gave an extra excellent summary. Maybe, maybe I'll ask if there's anything to add on maybe those last two chapters, Christ spirit and church is one of them. And then the next one is a concrete community. You explained it pretty well there, but I just wanted to give you an option. If, if you yeah, no. Um, so there's a lot. So in some ways the book is, um, you know, culminates in those last two chapters. Uh, like I think both Sanctorum Communio and then also my own book, it's really um, trying to see how those early chapters are providing some of the building blocks for what Bonhoeffer wants to say about the church. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the, the complex and the complex kinds of claims that Bonhoeffer wants to make about the church and um, you know how we attend to who we are in the church. Um, and, and I could imagine a different book about Sanctorum Communio that would start at the end. So it would, you know, start with ecclesiology and then really explore some of those earlier chapters as ways in which he's sort of working that out. Um, um, you know, for various reasons, I sort of opted to follow Bonhoeffer's own pattern of setting things up. But I think, um, I think it could go both ways. So it's both. Um, you know, a thinking from the church and then also a thinking back towards the church. Um, why do we talk about creation and sin? Um, well, in order to understand, um, um, you know, Christian existence as given in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, why do we need to talk about uh, theological engagements with soci- sociology or social theory? Well, again, it's it's to do a kind of ecclesial theology that really presses into the concrete forms of the church and um, um, you know, the ways that that expresses, um, um, you know, human formations and human hmm. relationships, just like any other kind of community. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I can definitely, um, I can definitely track with that. I, if you read, if you looked at my, I have your copy of your book here, and I have Sanctum Junio over there as well. Um, there's more underlines in writing the further the book goes, and it kind of culminates at that very end where where Bonhoeffer is like laying it all out, and you're like, yes, this all came together. Yeah. Yeah. I sh- so I should say, so the conclusion of the book, I spend a bit of time. Uh, so, so my book's got two basic objectives. One is to simply work out, you know, what the heck is going on in Sanctorum Communio, and to try and sort of lay that out a little more clearly. And the other, the others are more normative. Objective. So, so rather than simply saying what Bonhoeffer is doing, I do want to say, you know, this is an ecclesiology that that uh, continues to be valuable today and um, is also distinctive within the wider landscape. So, the conclusion of the book, I really just do a series of comparisons um, between Bonhoeffer and um, you know Stanley Harawas and uh, the kinds of ecclesiology that come through in his work. 
um, you know, where is Bonhoeffer the same? Where are there some important differences? Um, how does Bonhoeffer differ to John Webster's dogmatic ecclesiology? Again, you know, where, where, are, they, where are they the same? Where do they diverge? And then I do the same with um, John Milbank's um, 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 theology and social theory yeah. and with some of the more recent work that's been coming through in the ecclesiology and ethnography movement. Um, so, um, you know, those those who are obsessively interested in the early Bonhoeffer, um, um, you know, should just start at the beginning of my book and work through. Um, those who are sort of interested in ecclesiology more broadly, it's probably best to start with the conclusion to the book where I, I show what I think is at stake with Bonhoeffer's theology. And then if that's if that's of interest, you know, perhaps, you know, press back into some of the earlier chapters. Hmm. Um, so it takes a long time to get there, but eventually I, I, I you know, I hope that I managed to show why I think this is, um, you know, this is valuable in the contemporary landscape. Yes, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't recommend it enough for anyone who's interested in ecclesiology, Bonhoeffer's ecclesiology or St. John Communio. Um, so yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate you writing it and being willing to talk about it. Um, what I want to do now is sort of just change gears a little bit. I have a few questions about this handbook of yeah, sure. the Oxford handbook of Dietrich Bonhoeffer has recently come out. Um, and I, I, I just got it. Um, so I haven't, I, I've read the introduction and I've started, uh, I'm, I'm jumping around because it's a bunch of different authors. So it's like, Oh, well, I'll try this one next. And this one, um, especially <laughs> I'm using it a lot for research purposes. So, uh, the ones that have to do with ethics and, uh, and, uh, freedom, those sorts of things are really helpful right now. Um, uh, but, uh, what I was hoping we could do is, I mean, you, you edited this with uh, Dr. Philip Ziegler. Uh, I was wondering, how does something like this come together? There's <laughs> so many authors. So so it, it really grew out of my friendship with uh, Phil Ziegler and, um, you know, the chance to work with him as a colleague in Aberdeen. I think in 2014, we'd got a grant together and had some smaller conferences on Bonhoeffer that turned into a book called Christ, Church and World. And we just, we'd really enjoyed working on that together. And I think we'd worked relatively well. And um, so about that time, we started thinking about, well, you know, is what else would be useful in the context of Bonhoeffer studies at this time? Um, you know, is there something we could work on together? And uh, we put, um, we, we sort of, um, spent some time thinking through what a handbook would look like and put a proposal to Oxford and then, um, you know, approached uh, different scholars to be involved in it. Um, so so that's what really sort of generated the book. Hmm. Um, in terms of our own goals with it, so part of it was to just capture um, some of the excellent scholarship that's been done on Bonhoeffer, um, you know, through having some more established scholars who have been working on Bonhoeffer for a long time, but also trying to sort of be attentive to some of the new scholarship that was being done and some of the new work that was, um, um, you know, coming from emerging scholars and to try and, um, um, you know, capture and convey some of that. Um, I think, you know, even in the sort of years we were working on it, there's just, you know, Bonhoeffer studies has continued to go from strength to strength and there's so much good work that, 
you know, we weren't able to include or even, you know, make mention of, um, I, I don't know, don't, um, you know, in some ways we could just, um, you know, sit down and, um, you know, begin working on volume two, um, although I'm not, um, Phil might have a heart attack if he heard me <laughs> saying that. Um, um, but yeah, so it was really, it was trying to sort of capture the best of previous scholarship and then also sort of set out a few trajectories for, um, um, you know, for future work or a few directions that things might go. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, how were, were the chapters and authors assigned? I mean, some of them, some of them seem pretty straightforward. I know that Michael Dion has written extensively on Bonhoeffer's early years. So I thought, oh, of yeah. course, of course, he's the guy to, to write on this. But uh, some of them, um, I guess, many of the names I'm, I'm just being introduced to in this volume. Um, I, I joked with someone recently that it's great that you just provided me a lineup of podcast episodes for like <laughs> the next two years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, how, how are those assigned? You just contact and ask random people or yeah. Scholars? So I think we initially, we initially sort of mapped out um, the topics and sections. So, um, you know, part one, life and context, trying to sort of cover um um, you know, Bonhoeffer's life and some of the main periods of Bonhoeffer's life. Um, and we sort of looked at uh, historians and those who had sort of worked on different areas of Bonhoeffer's life. And I think almost for the whole handbook, almost everyone we approached said yes. So, um, um, you know, we really were able to get just some fantastic people involved in it. Um, part two, so this, so part two, theology and doctrine. Um, this is a section we tried to do something a little different to a lot of uh, previous work on Bonhoeffer in that we sort of tried to organise it around fairly traditional dogmatic or theological loci. So, you know, God, Christology, pneumatology, creation, and so forth. Um, and, um, you know, find scholars who would both be able to um, write rich theological reflections on Bonhoeffer, but also draw some connections between other uh, scholarship on these topics or other, um, you know, modern theological voices. Um, the goal being to really try and draw out some different things that perhaps don't always get attended to and work on Bonhoeffer. Um, and in some ways, that, that that's similarly the case with ethics and public life as well. Um, and in the last uh, uh, section for thinking after Bonhoeffer, um, you know, we could have, you know, here we were trying to capture some ways that Bonhoeffer's drawn on constructively, um, as well as some sort of critical responses to Bonhoeffer on, um, you know, questions of gender and race and, and so forth. And in the last section, section five, we really just tried to, um, um, you know, give uh, scholars and students some resources and some summaries of um, uh, you know different kinds of, of material for studying Bonhoeffer um, you know sources and texts is a fantastic essay by uh, Matthew Kirkpatrick um, uh, John DeGucci does a nice uh, um, you know critical overview of some of the different biographies and Stephen Haynes does a piece on readings and receptions in fact I could I could just sort of go through and list all of the <laughs> contributors and, and the essays because there's so much in here that yeah that really just is um, is fantastic yeah 
Yeah, I, that's great. I mean, I was going to ask you the, my next question. My last question about the, the handbook was, why is this volume so exciting for Bonhoeffer scholars? But I think you covered it. I mean, it seems to be a yeah. who's who list of of thinkers, theologians, and writers on Bonhoeffer writing about the topics that are most interested and experts in um, all yeah. in one volume. <laughs> I, I, like, I think that's right. I, like, in saying that, I do think there's so much that's not captured in this uh, handbook. Um um, you know, there's all, especially around sort of constructive uses of Bonhoeffer and, um, you know, uses of Bonhoeffer and, um, um, you know, outside of Europe and North America, so, and, and some other contexts as well. So, um, you know, the Bonhoeffer, the, the handbook sort of captures some important things, but um, the the field is far too vast for, um, you know, for even a 32 chapter handbook to, um, you know, summarise in any coherent way. So we, we, you know, we tried to lay out some things that we we thought were important, and hopefully others can um, build on that and also, um, you know, respond to that and and press back in different ways. That's great. Well, yeah, thank you for putting that together. Um, I have one final question for you. It is the yes, question sure. I ask at uh, every guest at the end of the podcast. Um, the little game of Desert Island. Um, so it's like just a. <laughs> Fun way to get a, a, some book recommendations for listeners. Um, so the idea is you're trapped on a, a desert island and you can bring one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer. So it could be um, just just a secondary source. It could be on his life or, his, or theology, something like that. Um, what two books would you go with? I, I'll, I'll start with the book by Bonhoeffer. Um, I, th I think I would have to take Bonhoeffer's Ethics um, partly because I, I just still feel there's so much in there that I don't understand and I just love the chance to sort of sit without distraction for a, for a while and try and sort of, you know, think about how different claims and different manuscripts fit together. Um, uh, so that, you know, again, you know, I'd happily take um, um, any Bonhoeffer book, but I think that's, you know, if I had to take one, that's that's probably what I'd, pick at this stage mm -hmm. um the the book about Bonhoeffer is much more complicated again and that there's just so many books that I've learned from and enjoyed reading um I think I, I would probably take um there's an edited book uh that was done by Peter Frick called Bonhoeffer's Intellectual Formation mm -hmm. um that's uh, really trying to sort of put Bonhoeffer in a conversation with some other theologians from the tradition. And I came across that at a sort of crucial point in my own studies, which really just sort of helped me see um, the complexity and depth of, 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 you know, what's going on in Bonhoeffer's thinking. Um, so, so it was influential for me at an, at an important time. And I've just also found over the years that I, I, keep coming back to different essays and, you know, finding finding insights and things that I enjoy. Um, another, I know I'm only allowed to, but another book that I discovered around the same time or that came out around the same time in my doctoral studies was um, uh, Brian Greger and Ian Zimmerman's Bonhoeffer and Continental Philosophy, again, which, you know, just has a lot of, um, you know, rich and exciting essays in it. Um, um, so if, if, you know, if my first choice isn't available when it comes to um, packing the lifeboat, I'd, I'd perhaps take that one instead. 
Perfect. Well, that that's great. You're actually not the first person to um, recommend Bonhoeffer's intellectual formation. I think uh, David yeah. Robinson suggested that well, as well. It's a, it's a tricky way of avoiding a question as well. So rather than being sort of forced to just name one scholar or one book, um, you know, you've got essays by Christiana Teets and it's like um, naming the Oxford Handbook. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so it's a, way, it's a way of avoiding the question and not not committing, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, that, that's great. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, I appreciate your just your willingness to to reach out. You you reached out to me, which was just crazy because I was reading your book. Um, <laughs> so uh, the fact no, and that... I, like I think from memory, I think I just reached out to say how much I was enjoying the podcast and um, yeah, just just again how fantastic it is to. Um, be able to listen to interviews with authors, um, you know, talking through their work and, um, you, you know, um, hearing you sort of press them on different things and ask different questions. So thanks again. Yeah, no problem. Uh, it's been been a pleasure. So um, if anyone has any further questions about, uh, about your book or the handbook or anything like that, uh, where would be best to reach you? Email, something like that? Yeah, so, um, so I'm at uh, Charles Sturt University uh, or the United Theological College. So if you just do a search, um, um, my email address will come up. But I'm, yeah, I'm more than happy to try and explain things further or point people to different different things. Fantastic. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, well, the book is Christ Existing as Community, Bonhoeffer's Ecclesiology from Oxford University Press and the Oxford Handbook of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, again, by Oxford University Press. Dr. Mawson, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast, and thank you to Dr. Mawson for coming on. You can find the books we discussed today entitled Christ Existing as Community, Bonhoeffer's Ecclesiology, and the Oxford Handbook to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, both published by Oxford University Press. You can find those wherever books are sold. If you like what you hear, please leave a review in your podcast app, and it will help others find the show. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did, and as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.